Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. Good to have you here. Just a couple other reminders. Uh, less than two weeks to our church picnic on October 2nd out at Top of the World at the Johnstons. We hope that all of you can join us out there that day. Great day every year and uh, a time to get to know each other better and to just be in a beautiful place and with beautiful people and to enjoy the outdoors and the good food and time of fellowship. Also, don't forget next Sunday is our last Sunday to uh, give an offering if you are so led to Pastor Ola Che and his family down in Mexicali. We will be gathering all that up and sending that to them after next Sunday. So next Sunday is the last Sunday. You can drop an offering in the uh, box back there for the Olachea family. Just mark on the envelope that it goes to them rather than the Oasis Church. And then also this week and next week, I'm going to be meeting with all of you who want to be baptized on Saturday, October the 30th at 2 p.m. at Toby and Marsha's house. If you are interested in baptism, would you please just take five minutes after the service, and we're going to meet over here in this section, okay? Uh, children, uh, just parents, you if, if your child wants to be baptized, just please come, or a guardian or somebody, an adult, come to that meeting as well. Uh, so that's after the 9 o'clock service and the 11 o'clock service, both this week and next week. For all of you who are interested in baptism, just meet me for a few minutes over there. We're in the middle of a series. Actually, we're actually going to wrap up this series next week uh, called uh, Made to Multiply, all about discipleship. And uh, we go back to the, one of the very last things that is recorded in the Bible that Jesus said to his disciples, which is go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. So it is up to us as a church, it's up to us as churches, as a community of believers, as individual believers, to be all about making disciples in our lives and to be part of a discipleship uh, relationship, if you will, just like Paul and Timothy that there doesn't have to be the same Christian throughout our lives, and it can be even several Christians at one time, but that there are those Christians that we are pursuing Christ with and that we have this discipleship relationship, this discipleship dynamic that Paul and Timothy had, a mutually encouraging, mutually strengthening, mutually uh, comforting relationship where it's iron sharpening iron. And we've talked about all those dynamics through this point. And now when we come to 2 Timothy chapter 4 today, we're going to look at some dates, dates, not the kind you eat, dates that drive disciples. You see, last week we talked about the fact that disciples are different, different than even believers. All believers in Jesus Christ, are not disciples. All disciples are believers, but not all believers are disciples. A disciple is a fully devoted, fully committed, fully all-in follower of Jesus Christ. One who is learning and growing and maturing 
and allowing God to just take them where God wants to take them. Not leading their own life, but under the leadership of the Lord. He's the Lord of their life as a disciple. And what Paul is getting ready to end this letter with is some real important instructions because he understands his time on this earth is short. He gets that. He doesn't have a long time left. And he wants to leave Timothy with really important things, not only for himself, but as the pastor of a church to pass on to his people so that they can keep these things in mind as well because there are certain things, certain dates, if you will, certain times that are going to drive disciples that don't necessarily drive anybody else. It, again, is what makes disciples unique. It's one of the reasons why disciples end up in different places than even other believers end up, because we're driven by sort of a different standard, a different thing. The first thing I want us to notice, too, is that in all of these, there's none about looking back, which is biblical. God doesn't want us to spend our time in life looking back in the past. Paul even said, forgetting those things that are behind, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So you're not going to find any dates here or any times that deal with the past. Part of, I think, the struggle and problem with many Christians is they're living too much in the past or they're allowing something that happened in their past to dominate and define who and what they are now and where God wants to take them. God wants us to get over our pasts, whatever that is, and, and to allow him to heal and whatever, but to move on and, and keep on going. So the first then time that you see here or date is present day. Present day. This is our time. And that's what Paul's basically telling Timothy. Timothy, remind everybody that God made us for a time in this world. See, God didn't just randomly create us and place us on this earth at this time. He had a plan for us living in this time. And he built us for this time. And so many Christians down through history, you know, because maybe we don't like the time we're living in, and we, again, are looking back at the good old days and all of that and hoping that times and things change, instead of just embracing the time that we live in, realizing that God is in that time, has us built for that time, and instead of, you know, sort of retreating and, and wishing things were different, sort of embracing that time and using it for God. So notice what he says. I solemnly charge you, Timothy, which, by the way, are words that speak about a strong personal appeal from somebody who's close to you. Not everybody can appeal in this way to other people. You have to have a, a close relationship with somebody to come alongside and appeal to them, you see. And then he says, I'm solemnly charging you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead. 
and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the message. Be ready whether it's convenient or not. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and instruction, for there will be, and then notice these next two words, a time. A time, Timothy, in your lifetime as you're pastoring, when people will not tolerate sound teaching. Instead, following their own desires, they will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things, and they will turn away from hearing the truth. And on the other hand, they will turn aside to myths. Timothy, know the time that you're living and how important it is that you sort of lead contextually that you are leading out of the context of the time in which you're living, that the decisions and choices and all of that that you're making, Timothy, are fitting your time and the circumstances and the situations that are around you. Don't try to change them, but use them to advance the kingdom and use them for your glory. Don't ever allow your circumstances or situation, Timothy, to dictate to you you dictate to your circumstances and situations. In a sense, God wants to build disciples who are thermostats, not thermometers. See, a thermometer is always adjusting itself to whatever the climate is around it. God wants to make us thermostats, that we're set. Our, our, in a sense, our setting is set. And regardless of what's going on around us, we are who we could be, need to be, should be, and all of that. And it's not based on trying to, you know, put our finger up and see where the wind is blowing, so to speak. And, well, that's who I... No. There's a time, Timothy. And that's why it's important, verse 2, that you embrace your calling. Now, for Timothy, that was being a pastor. So obviously for him, it's preach the word, Timothy. That's what you need to do, especially in the time that's coming because the time in which you're living, so many people in the church are going to turn away from hearing the truth. So you just need to keep preaching regardless of the response, regardless of how many people you get to come and hear you, Timothy. That's not the issue. God won't hold you responsible for that. But you've got to be true to the calling that God has given to you. And we could say the same thing about every Christian. Know the time you're living in, and whatever that is, embrace the calling that God has placed upon your heart and life. And God has given every person, every Christian, a calling, a ministry, something that we should be focused on and involved in in every season of our life. He goes on to say, be ready, Timothy. Be present. Make yourself available at your time. It's your time, Timothy. You don't know how long you've got, right? But what we do know is we've got this time. So use this time that you have, regardless of what's going on for God's glory. Then notice this. He also says in verse 5, you, however, a phrase we looked at last week about daring to be different. You, however, in the time you're living, and we could say the same thing to all of us today, be self-controlled in all things. It means to remain calm and composed in all things. That's who disciples are to be in our time. Again, 
So it doesn't matter what the circumstances or situation is. In all things means in all things. Be calm and be composed because we know who's on the throne and who's in control and that there's nothing that's happening outside of God's purview and, and his sovereignty. And because we know that he has us and he has the universe in his hands, it doesn't matter what's going on around us in our time. We should, as Christians and especially as disciples, remain calm and composed. That hasn't been the case in the last year and a half with all Christians, has it? Maybe even some disciples. It's been hard to stay calm and composed, but we can through the power of the Holy Spirit as we keep following the Lord. He also says endure hardship as a soldier would. We've already talked about that, that being a disciple is like being a soldier on a battlefield, and soldiers on a battlefield have to endure hardship. It just naturally, it comes with the territory, as we say. Or we could also say this, a disciple is one who's willing to do the hard thing in their time. One who's willing to do the hard thing. Because again, sometimes we don't like to do the hard stuff. We want the, you know, the easy button. We want the easy life. Well, disciples, we have to be willing to do the hard thing as a soldier would. Then he goes on to say, do an evangelist's work. It doesn't mean God calls all of us to be a Billy Graham or to be an evangelist, but what it does mean is that all disciples should look for opportunities all the time to share God's message. Because we understand God's message is the answer. God's Word has a power built into it by God to bring people to salvation, to, to change hearts. It, it has a power in it to change our hearts, even as followers of God, if we're exposed to it. So God wants all of us as disciples, no matter what time we are in on earth, to be able to share God's message, to plant seeds, to get the word of God out as much as possible. And then finally, he says, fulfill your ministry. See whatever God has given you through to the end. Don't be one who starts something and doesn't finish it. God's a finisher. We talked about that Wednesday night in our study of the book of Genesis. He who began a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God always finishes what he starts, and those who follow him will do the same. We won't start something and then not finish it or see it through. We'll have follow-through. We'll see it through to the end. We'll fulfill whatever God gave us to do until he says, you're done, okay? But we all have our time, and our time is now. This is when God put us on the earth. The reason he didn't put us on the earth 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago or back when Jesus was here, all that, because God had a plan for us to be alive during our time, and that he wants us to use our time on this earth Again, to build his kingdom, to make disciples. And all of us can do it if instead of sort of thinking we wish we were alive at a different time or retreating from the time that we're living, that we as disciples step up 
do the hard thing, embrace our calling, whatever it is, and thank God for the time that he's given us because it's our time. Keep your finger there in 2 Timothy and go back with me to a couple verses in the Old Testament. 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32. 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32. If you come to 1 and 2 Kings, actually 1 and 2 Samuel, then 1 and 2 Kings, and then finally 1 and 2 Chronicles chapter 12. Look at verse 32, very interesting verse. He's talking about all these tribes of Israel. And he comes to the tribe of Issachar in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. And he says, from Issachar, there were 200 leaders and all their relatives at their command. Now, notice these next four words. They understood the times. They knew the time that they were living in. And so they knew, notice, what Israel should do. See, again, their leadership their understanding of the times in which they lived dictated to them what they should do, you see. They, they fit their times. Now, they didn't compromise their walk with God, but they understood contextually, if this is the time we're living in, we see these things happening, then this is what we as followers of God need to do. And specifically, they were between Saul and Saul. And David. That's the time they were living in. Saul, they knew, was not God's man, that God had already, through the prophet Samuel, anointed David as king, but yet he wasn't king yet. So they were sort of in that in-between time of Saul and David actually taking the throne. So there were certain things that they knew that they needed to do. They started to throw their support behind David instead of Saul, even though he wasn't king yet, because they knew God's hand was on him to be the king of Israel. See, they understood that, and so that's why they did what they did. God wants us to be the same. He wants us to understand the days that we're living in, what he's doing in those days, and then how should we respond as disciples. Let me give you another one. This is one that's a little bit more famous, if you will. Go through First and Second Chronicles, and then you'll come to Ezra, the book of Ezra, the book of Nehemiah, and then you'll come to the book of Esther and go to Esther chapter 4. This is the conversation where Esther's uncle Mordecai has gotten back with Esther after she sort of says, uh, I don't know, uncle, about going in and talking to the king, right? I don't know whether I should do that or not. That's not a very good idea. So you come to Esther chapter 4 and look at verse 12. When Esther's reply was conveyed to Mordecai, he said to take back this answer to Esther. Don't imagine that because you're a part of the king's household, you will be the one Jew who will escape. If you keep quiet at this time, liberation and protection for the Jews will appear from another source while you and your father's household perish. It may very well be that you have achieved royal status, don't miss this, for such a time as this. God had Esther in that place for her time. That was her time. And, and where she was, doing what she was, with the relationship she had with the king and all that, that wasn't by accident. That wasn't by chance. That was all God. She had to understand, this is my time, and I've got to step up and do what God 
has given me the opportunity to do in my time. I can't run from my time. I've got to embrace the time that I'm living in and look for how God wants to use me in the time that he's placed me here on this earth. So that's one of the big dates, if you will, that drives disciples, but that's not the only one. If you go back to 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 6. Another date that drives a disciple is knowing we're going to die. Not to be morbid about it, not that a disciple is going to sit around and thinking about dying or death all the time, but that the idea that I know I am going to die one day and that there's a whole eternity out there beyond that should shape the way you and I live our lives and shape our priorities and our values because we understand that even if we would all be alive for 100 years on this earth, we're going to die, and we're going to go into eternity, and eternity is forever. So it doesn't matter even how long I live on earth. It is a speck of sand on the seashore of eternity. It's nothing. Therefore, how I live my life and how I pour myself into life and get the most out of every day is going to be dictated by keeping in mind I'm going to have a day of departure someday which is what Paul says. Verse 6, I am already being poured out as an offering, Paul said, symbolizing total surrender, a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And the time for me to depart is at hand. By the way, this should encourage all Christians. You know how Paul talks about death, a departure? It literally means to pull up the anchor and set sail. It's like death isn't the end. Paul's just saying, when I die, I'm just pulling up my anchor here on earth, and I'm going to place my anchor up there in glory. That's my depart. That's my death. That's why Paul could say, for me, living is Christ, dying's gain. To depart and be with Christ is far better. I'm just, I'm setting sail. I'm being set free. I'm not going to have this body that wears out and gets tired and gets sick and all of that. I'm laying that aside. Another uh, way that this word depart is used is for prisoners who were set free. What a great picture for us as Christians to lay aside our mortal bodies, because mortality cannot inherit immortality, and to lay that aside and to be able to get a glorified body that's never going to wear out, never going to get sick, never going to feel pain, never going to feel disease, never going to die anymore. I mean, that's good stuff, and that's why Paul described death as departure. It's not something we should fear. It's not something we should run, run from. It should be a reality that shapes us and drives us every day, because by knowing that we're all going to die one day, we should live every Every day to the fullest. We should ever live every day with purpose. We should live every day with sort of a sense of urgency. Whatever you're putting off, don't put off anymore. We don't know when we're going to die. This could be the last day we're all alive. We could have another week. We could have another month, a year, 10 years. Who knows? But the idea is one day our day of departure is going to come. And God wants us to live knowing that every day is a gift. Our life is a gift from God. Every day that you and I get to stay on earth is a gift from God. Therefore, we should use it to the fullest, knowing that the day of our departure is coming, which is why then Paul goes on to say in verse 7, I have competed well. I fought the good fight. I entered the arena and faced down the enemy. Every day, Paul said, because guess what? The life on earth, it's a struggle. It can be a battle. 
I don't have time to go into it today, but man, this week's been a struggle around here in a lot of ways. It's like the devil is like the master annoyer, the, the master distractor that tries to like just do little things to get us off, you know, crazy what's been happening around our church. And then even this morning, you know, things that have been happening around here. But Paul says, but I entered the arena and I faced the enemy every day, faced whatever challenge, faced whatever obstacle it was, and I fought the good fight. I was willing to get in there and do the hard thing. Then he says, I finished the race. I, I'm getting ready to cross the finish line. Uh, and by the way, I want to encourage you. I do this with Christians all the time. Some of you have shared with me, you know, your, your first years on earth, your, however long that was, maybe it wasn't the best spiritual years you had. You know, maybe you came to know Christ later on in life or, or get serious about your relationship with Christ later on in life. And I always say to Christians, it's more important how you finish the race than how you start. Maybe you didn't start the race with God very well in your life, but it's important that you finish well. And that's what Paul's saying. I'm getting ready to cross the finish line because I've done everything God has asked me to do. I've fulfilled it all. And then he said, I kept the faith, which goes back to discipleship. It means I preserved God, what you entrusted to me, and I passed it on to people like Timothy so that he could keep it going. And you see, Paul said, that's why I'm good with whenever my day of departure actually comes, I'm good because I knew that I gave it my all. I didn't leave anything out there on the field, so to speak. I remember when we played football, that was one of the things our coach would tell us is when you go out there on Friday night and you play that high school football game, leave it all out there on the field. Don't bring anything back to the sideline. And that's what God wants us to do as disciples. Whatever time we have here, knowing that the day of our departure is coming and that should drive us every day to get the most out of every day and squeeze out of every day all that we can, that that's what shapes our life and actually helps us to live life at a higher level than we would if we just sort of tried to not think about dying and dismissed it as if it's never going to come. No, bring it into your present reality, but don't do it in a more way, do it in a motivational way. And then he says in verse 8, there's another day coming. He says, finally, the crown of righteousness is reserved for me. The Lord, the righteous judge, will award it to me in, notice, that day, that day that's coming for all of us as Christians in the future, and not to me only, but to all those who have set their affection on his appearing. Paul is reminding Timothy here in this passage that all people, believers and unbelievers, are going to stand before Christ one day and be judged. Now, not for the same thing, and it's going to look way different for a believer and an unbeliever. The unbeliever is going to stand before Christ at what's called the great white throne judgment. And they will be judged for their sin because they have rejected God's remedy for sin, Jesus Christ. Therefore, they will have to pay for their own sin. For you and I as believers, we will not stand at the great white throne judgment, but we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And that judgment seat is so that God can reward us for how we have lived our Christian life. We are not judged for our sin. Those sins were judged upon Christ 
on the cross. And so if you're here today and you're a Christian, you and I can say, hallelujah, our sins are past, present, and future, forever forgiven, never to be brought up by God again to us. If those sins are brought up, they're brought up from our flesh or they're brought up from our slander, the devil himself who accuses us, but they are not brought up to us by God. God throws them in the depths of the sea. He separates us as far as the east is the west. And, and you, Jesus Christ died for our sins. But we are going to be judged. God is going to evaluate and reward the way we've lived. And notice what Paul says. Finally, he says, the crown of righteousness is reserved, notice, for me. Our rewards are going to be very personal and set aside until that day, which is why he uses the word reserved. The Lord, the righteous judge, meaning God will give us exactly the reward that we deserve. Again, not salvation. We're saved by grace. This isn't trying to earn our way into heaven. This is what did we do with the gift of life as a Christian that God gave to us? How did we do? And based on that, God is going to reward every Christian. Now, I will say this. That's why even at the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be all kinds of differences because some Christians are going to be rewarded very little, if at any, and other Christians are going to have great reward. And what I try to encourage and motivate Christians to see is that your place, your role, your responsibility in Christ's millennial kingdom on earth is going to be based on your Christian life. And your role and responsibility and reward throughout eternity in his eternal kingdom is based on your Christian life, which should motivate us every day as disciples, which is what it did to Paul. He not only thought about the time that he was living in and making the most of his day and his time on earth, but he was also motivated and driven by the fact that his day of departure was going to come and what kind of legacy was he going to leave behind because he couldn't wait until he was about to die and then sort of flip the switch and think everything's going to be okay. Paul said, you and I don't prepare to die two days before we die. We prepare to die years before we die because it's not a switch that you can flip. And then he says, there's another day that motivates me. I know as a believer in Jesus Christ that one day I'm going to stand at the judgment seat of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I'm going to be rewarded for how I live my Christian life. And that drives me every day, Paul said. And he all those disciples who've set their affection upon his appearing. You turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, a very important passage of Scripture that deals with this very subject. And I'm going to begin reading in 1 Corinthians 3, 9. 1 Corinthians 3, 9. Paul says, we are co-workers belonging to God. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, but someone else builds on it. 
and each must be careful how he builds. In other words, Paul's saying, every Christian is building something with our Christian life. Every Christian, we are building something with our Christian life. For no one can lay any foundation other than what is being laid, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each builder's work will be plainly seen for the day, what day is he talking about? The day that he's talking about in 2 Timothy, that day that the righteous judge is going to award him on that day, will make it clear because it will be revealed by fire. God is going to have this sort of supernatural fire, if you will. And he's going to pass all of our life and all of our works and all of our deeds through that fire. Notice what he says. And the fire will test what kind of work each has done. If what someone has built survives, he will receive a reward. If someone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved. That's important but only as through fire. So Paul's saying that there will be many Christians who as their work and life and deeds pass through that fire, there's nothing left. It all gets burned up because they were living for themselves. They weren't living for eternity. They weren't laying up treasure in heaven like Jesus encouraged us to live. They weren't making disciples. They weren't truly devoted followers of Jesus Christ. They loved the world more than they loved Christ. And therefore, they'll get to heaven, because it says they'll be saved. They're not going to lose their salvation. But they're not going to have much to show for it. And their role and responsibility and all of that throughout his earthly kingdom and his eternal kingdom will be greatly diminished because they didn't realize the gift that they were given to live in their time. And they didn't live every day driven by the fact that one day they're going to depart from this earth and they're going to be forever in glory. And it just never sort of shaped their life to think that one day they're going to have to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and their life is going to be evaluated or judged, not for sin, but for reward. For reward. And so Paul is saying, that's why disciples are different from many other even believers. Because like Esther, we begin to understand, God put me on this earth for this time. And instead of running from this time or hoping that this time would change, embrace the time that I have and use it for the glory of God. And instead of trying to deny I'm going to die one day and dismiss my death one day, realize that I can look at death so differently because of my relationship with Christ and actually use the coming day of my departure as a way to shape and drive and prioritize my life here so that actually my life is fuller because I think about that every once in a while rather than just putting it out of my mind. And then Paul says, all of us, every last Christian is going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive those things that we've done, good or bad, 
as he evaluates and passes it all through that fire. What's going to last? Those things that we've done for Christ and for eternity to impact the lives of others for his kingdom, those are the things that's going to last. So many other things that we live for is not going to stand the test. And so Paul's saying, let's be reminded of these things, folks, so that we can go out and just truly go out with our boots on, so to speak, and say, God, I'm going to live for you and I'm going to be all in with you up until the time you take me home and the time you come for me in the rapture of the church. I'm going to ask our worship team to come now and get set up here. As they're coming, our last song this morning is, It Is Well With My Soul. I love that song. But here's the deal. I hope that many of us can sing that song and say, you know, right now, it's good. I know that my life is aligned with God and there's not a bunch of stuff hanging out there, and I can truly say, God, you and me, yeah, we're good. It's good. But there may be some of us here today that goes, you know, I know I'm not really in alignment with God like I should be. Here's the great thing. God's given us today. God's given us this time to say, okay, God, I know there's some changes I need to make. There's some tweaks or adjustments or things that I can, can do better or I can do differently or I can have a different perspective. My, and you've given me this time to do it. Thank you, God, for being a God of grace and mercy and second chances and hundredth chances. And, and God, you're giving me another opportunity in my time to get everything aligned with you so that I can go out just like Paul and say, I fought the fight, I finished my course, I kept the faith so that one day when I stand before the Lord, I'll hear those words that every Christian wants to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So whether you're in alignment with God or not, use this time of worship to just solidify yourself in the Lord and know how much he loves you and that he has a great plan and purpose for your life in your time. He simply wants you to embrace him and embrace it. Would you stand with me? And let's sing this great hymn of the faith together as a declaration of our faith and commitment to the Lord this morning. Amen.